0: Good evening, my name is uh, Jesse, it's great to see you here tonight, let me extend my warm welcome to you if I haven't met you before. What types of films do you enjoy? My uh, wife likes a period drama, I like a suspense film. To To be honest though, that doesn't really matter because when we sit down in the evening and turn on Netflix with two young kids, it's decided that we should be watching Bananas in Pyjamas each night. Our passage today is no period drama, it's certainly not bananas in pyjamas, it's a fully loaded suspense narrative. So come and have a look in your Bibles with me. Today's suspense narrative is set in a courtroom of sorts. You see, Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And in this suspense-filled courtroom, we have three characters— First, the Jewish leaders are the prosecutors. They want Jesus executed. Then we see Pilate. He's the judge. Pilate is a Roman governor. He holds authority in Jerusalem on behalf of Caesar. He has to figure out what he will do with Jesus. And finally, we have Jesus himself. He is the accused. Jesus is hounded by the cries of the Jewish prosecutors, yet he is calm under pressure. The suspenseful trial, it also has two different scenes. Pilate moves from inside his his headquarters to the crowd outside no less than five times over this passage. So I'd like you to imagine these two scenes with me. First, inside Pilate's headquarters. It's relatively quiet. We hear the conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Jesus is calm and measured, but Pilate is exasperated. But the second scene is in front of the shouting crowd. It's loud and dusty and about to spill over. And the Jews are shouting, crucify, crucify. But here lies a great incongruity in the narrative. Did you notice it? The trial, it doesn't add up. Everything is wrong. Everything is upside down. The accusers, the Jews, are guilty, while the accused, Jesus, is innocent. And the incongruity of this trial leaves us with one significant question for tonight. What will happen to Jesus? Imagine you are Pilate. What would you do with Jesus? Would you hand him over to be crucified? Because the Jews' accusation is right, isn't it? Jesus has made himself the son of God, and that is blasphemy. And according to Leviticus, that is punishable by death. Or would you not hand Jesus over to be crucified, and face the accusation that you are no friend of Caesar's, and deny Jesus the very death he had predicted? What would you do with Jesus if you were Pilate? Well, today we're going to be diving into this suspenseful trial scene. We're going to be exploring the incongruity of it all. And we'll be asking the most significant question which has ever been asked, what will happen to Jesus? And we'll do it from the perspective of the Jews, the perspective of Pilate, and finally the perspective of Jesus. Jesus. So, point one on your outlines tonight the guilt of the accusers. So, what do the Jews tell us about this suspenseful trial scene? Well, first, the Jews tell us that the accusers are guilty because they are under the law. Did you hear their concern to obey the law throughout the passage? John 18, verse 28 they did not enter the headquarters because they did not want to be defiled. Or verse 31, they said, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death. The Jews think that by keeping the Old Testament law, they will establish their righteousness. And so they persistently, relentlessly, foolishly try to keep their hands clean. But ironically, in their attempt to maintain their own righteousness, they commit the most unrighteous act of all they hand Jesus over to be crucified. John 19, verse 7. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. And so the accusers are guilty because they are under the law. But more than that, John is telling us that the Jews are responsible for rejecting and crucifying Their king. That is, the Jews are responsible for rejecting their Messiah, the one God sent them. And John is incredibly emphatic about this throughout the passage. Read with me in your Bibles from John 19 from the end of verse 14. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. So then, because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. There before their very eyes stands the Jews' true king, the Messiah. Pilate exclaims, Here is your king! Yet the Jews, upon seeing their king, have him crucified and make Caesar their king. The Jews are now guilty of the very charge which they brought against Jesus. The Jews are guilty of blasphemy. In this suspenseful trial scene, the guilt of the accusers stands large. Can you see the tragic irony of this passage? The religious men who tried to keep the law are, in actual fact, the guilty men. Their attempts for righteousness have failed in a spectacular fashion. And this is a helpful reminder for us as we seek righteousness, because Jesus says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What do we do when we seek righteousness? but come up short of God's standard. Well, I think we've got one of two options. Either we can inflate our own righteousness like the Jews did. We can say to ourselves, I am justified in ignoring my Christian sister or brother at church. What they said was hurtful. We can say, that moment of lust didn't harm anyone. It's not really a problem. But like the Jews, that will render us under the law And guilty. There is no unrighteous, not even one. Or we can allow the Lord to expose our unrighteousness. It's uncomfortable, it's painful, but it's right. I think there's nothing more helpful for our Christian maturity than confession. And I'm not simply talking about saying to God, Dear God, please forgive my sins, amen. But actually taking the time to identify the points in our day when we sin one at a time, confessing them to God. Lord, withholding forgiveness from my brother or sister at church is sinful. Please forgive me. Lord, my lust this morning makes me guilty of adultery in my heart. Please forgive me. Friends, don't be religious like the Jews. The law will render us guilty before God and result in us rejecting our King Jesus. Instead, confess your sins to the author of the law and look to the one who fulfills it perfectly, Jesus Christ. Well, so far in this trial, we've learned about the guilt of the accusers, but now we turn to our second character, Pilate. And I think Pilate is a fascinating character in this passage. He's a reluctant hinge between Jesus Jesus And the Jews. He's unconvinced that Jesus needs to be brought before him at all. But the Jews persist. A bit like a pesky mosquito. And they eventually bite him where it hurts. And so on the one hand, Pilate is just a tool who is manipulated by the Jews to have Jesus crucified. But on the other hand, Pilate is the means by which we hear Jesus speak. And so through Pilate, we actually learn a great deal about Jesus. And the first thing we learn is that the accused is innocent. Point two on your outlines. You see, Jesus is not guilty of blasphemy because he's speaking the truth, and is not guilty of a political uprising because his kingdom is not of this world. Pilate stresses the innocence of Jesus again and again. John 18 verse 38, I find no grounds for charging him. John 19, verse 4, look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. And verse 6, Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, for I find no grounds for charging him. Do you feel the injustice of it? An innocent man accused But perhaps you noticed that Pilate's words don't actually align with his actions. While I was teaching in the UK, all of my students knew full well uh, that I was from Australia. They could tell the second I walked into the classroom. And because they knew that I was from Australia, they all assumed that my life here in Australia resembled that of the TV series Home and Away. And it's not a joke, they really did. And because of that, they uh, all assumed that I could surf. So one year, I'm there as a teacher, and we took all the students along on a school camp. And believe it or not, even in the UK, uh, they take school camps to the coast. And even in the UK, they take them for surfing lessons. And the surfing instructors, of course, required a teacher to be in the water with a surfboard. And it didn't take the students long to realize that, in actual fact, their teacher from Australia couldn't surf, and that his uh, words didn't exactly align with his actions. Now. Pilate is no surfer, but a bit like me, his words don't seem to align with his actions. One minute, he says, Jesus is innocent, but at the beginning of verse 19, he has Jesus flogged. Why have a man who you think innocent flogged with a whip? Pilate here is going to extraordinary lengths to avoid crucifying Jesus. I want you to picture the scene with me. Here is the man. Take a look at him with me. He is weak. He is bruised. He has been tortured from a whip. The man the Jews said was guilty of blasphemy? Really? The man who is so dangerous and threatening challenging Caesar? Do we really need to crucify him? Pilate, by having Jesus flogged, beaten, and then paraded before a crowd, is trying to appeal to the sympathy of the Jews. Why? Because Jesus is innocent. But Pilate also tells us why Jesus is innocent. He is innocent because he speaks the truth. Innocent people, they don't lie. They tell the truth. What is truth? Jesus is king. But while Pilate is quick to accept Jesus' innocence, he's actually quite slow to recognize Jesus as king. But in verse 36, Jesus blows Pilate's understanding of Jesus' kingdom out of the water. Let's read together in your Bibles. John 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. Jesus' kingdom is not limited to earthly power. Jesus' kingdom is quite literally out of this world. And so, verse 37, Pilate affirms that Jesus is a king. And Jesus affirms that Pilate has spoken truth. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. Importantly, Pilate hasn't said that Jesus is the king of the Jews. He simply states, you are a king. Jesus is innocent because he speaks the truth. I think it's unlikely that Pilate grasped the full magnitude of what he was saying I think he's probably speaking better than he knows, a bit like Caiaphas from last week. But it's fascinating to me that God chooses Pilate of all people to speak truth. No matter who you are, Jewish or Gentile, with authority or with no authority, from a Christian upbringing or a non-Christian upbringing, you can speak truth. What is truth? Jesus is King. And if Jesus is telling the truth that he is king, the long-awaited-for Messiah, then he is also the Son of God. Chapter 19, verse 7, the Jews say, he made himself the Son of God. So why is the accused innocent? He is innocent because he tells the truth. Jesus is king. Jesus is the Son of God. The innocence of the accused stands large in this passage. Ultimately, though, Pilate caves to the pressure. Pilate can't serve two masters. He cannot serve Caesar as king on the one hand and Jesus as king on the other. He must choose. And so Pilate is manipulated by the Jews and he hands the accused Jesus over to be crucified. What a profound injustice. In the end... It's not only Israel who reject the Messiah of God, it's the whole world. It's the Jews represented by the Jewish leaders. It's the Gentiles represented by Pilate. And as we sit comfortably and watch this suspense narrative unfold, it's easy to draw conclusions about Pilate, isn't it? But I think the more difficult question for us here tonight is what will we do with Jesus? I think many of us can relate to the pressure that Pilate faces, the pressure to give in. We feel the pressure at university. We feel the pressure at parties. Like Pilate, we feel the pressure to give in when called to choose between an earthly king and a heavenly king. Who is your earthly king? What do you serve? Earthly kings, they come in all shapes and sizes. But I think in the age of social media and political correctness, one earthly king who we serve is reputation. Even Christians are preoccupied with how we are perceived by others. I know I've certainly struggled with this. But we cannot have both. We cannot be a Christian and seek to please people. Paul says this in Galatians. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. We cannot have both. We serve our King Jesus, not our reputation. Are we willing to deny our reputation in order to make Jesus our King? So what have we seen happen so far in this suspenseful trial? We have seen the guilt of the accusers, the Jews. We have seen the innocence of the accused, Jesus, the King, the Son of God. We have felt the injustice of it. But what do we learn from Jesus, the final character? We learn that this is God's magnificent plan. What do you think of when you think of a crowning ceremony? Perhaps you think of the winning rugby team uh, being crowned with victory. But I want you to think more along the lines of the uh, crowning of queen elizabeth in 1953 uh, elizabeth was crowned the queen of england and there was a coronation service it was in six parts one of those parts was the enthronement she was enthroned with a crown the crown weighs more than two kilograms and it's made of solid gold she was also given a brand new purple robe It took more than 12 people, more than 3,000 hours to make the robe. Did you see the crowning ceremony of our King Jesus? Read with me from John chapter 19, verse 2. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, "'Hail, King of the Jews!' And we're slapping his face. I want you to picture Jesus there in front of you. Watch the Roman soldiers dress him in a mock purple robe. Watch the Roman soldiers place a thorny crown upon his head while blood drips from his skull. Watch the Roman soldiers stand back and exclaim, Hail, King of the Jews! and strike him. Picture Jesus there, a king who has been crowned. Picture the indignity of it. Our precious Lord and Saviour is mocked in this display of humiliation. Little do the soldiers know, they've just crowned the king of the universe. This is all part of God's magnificent plan. And with this coronation service comes authority. John 19, verse 10, Pilate says, Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. You see, the king has the ultimate source of authority, even as he's crucified. And all authority in this world comes from him. You see, Jesus is not just the man, as Pilate puts it. Rather, he is the word made flesh. He speaks the very words of God. And so Jesus, he, he turns around to Pilate, a man who thinks he has authority, the governor, and he says, you're not the boss. It's a simple idea, but it has profound implications. Whether we like it or not, we all sit under someone else's authority, our supervisor at work, our university lecturer, and sometimes people in authority let us down or are unfair. People in authority can bully, they can marginalise, and they can even be corrupt. But here Jesus says to those in authority, you're not the boss. And I think that is comforting. It's comforting to know our supervisors whether they realize it or not, only have authority because they've been given it by God. And no matter what they do with their power, even if they hand the Son of God over to be crucified, they cannot stop God's magnificent plan. It is part of God's magnificent plan to crown the king. But now to close, it's part of God's magnificent plan to condemn the king. And this is the really important part for today, so let's focus in. What will happen to Jesus? Despite everything we have seen, Jesus is still condemned. Jesus is handed over by guilty accusers. Crucify, crucify. Jesus is handed over despite being innocent. Crucify, Crucify. Jesus is handed over and crowned, yet condemned. Crucify. Crucify. But here is the thing it's not only the guilty Jewish leaders who condemn Jesus, it's you and it's me. At this trial, Jesus is condemned. By us as he is charged guilty instead of us and he is condemned by the father as Jesus bears our sin on the cross for our sake crucify crucify this is God's magnificent plan it is a magnificent injustice which brings us to the interesting question from the beginning of today What would you do if you were Pilate? What will you do with the king? Will you hand him over to be crucified? Well, I hope the last thing you want is for the innocent king to face death. But then again, I hope you will allow the king to be handed over in your place. Because the alternative, it's frightening. The alternative is that Jesus isn't condemned for our sin, And we are. The alternative is that when the son sits on his throne at the end of days, he will deliver a verdict for the guilty according to what they have done. And the verdict is this. It is eternal judgment. It is the lake of fire. It is hell. But the magnificent injustice is that the king is condemned instead of us. How do we allow Jesus to be condemned in our place? We acknowledge that Jesus is King. The King whose kingdom is not of this world, but who is the judge of the living and the dead. We acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of the living God, who was with God and who is God from the beginning before the creation of the world. We come to Him by faith, accepting that the innocent man, was accused and condemned so that the guilty might go free. And we join together in praising God that he is handed over for us, the guilty ones. The question is this. Will you allow Jesus to be handed over for your place? I pray you will. Dear God, We thank you that you were handed over in our place. Lord, we praise you that you went to the cross as innocent. Lord, we acknowledge you as king, as the son of God, and put our faith in you. Lord, please deliver us from condemnation and give us life in you. Amen.